From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. I'm your host, KG Smooth. It's the, if it's the third, no, what is this? This is the fourth Sunday of October. And so, you know, we always have a discussion with 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. And on the phone line I have this morning, Dr. Patrick Jefferson, who is the Vice President of Operations for 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Um, Great success with the 100 Black Men Gala that was last month. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Put a lot of hard work into it. That's uh, one of our um, celebratory events. Um, most people don't see the behind-the-scenes work we do on behalf of the community, and that's the one thing we do very publicly just to celebrate. But most of our work goes on behind the scenes with our mentoring and community events. So we want to make sure everybody understands that we throw a good party. Yeah, you do. But did. we work uh, a lot harder serving the uh, communities and the young men of our community. What, what were your ta- What was your takeaways uh, from the gala? Well, number one, just the level of support that we get. Um, not only from our members, but the community, our donor partners, and people that want to come out and support the work that we do. And because you know, I think everyone knows the the money they they give us to support us goes directly to our mentorship program and our other activities that center around our four pillars. And so, to be able to uh, to be recognized for the work we do uh, and have the dignitaries there that we did that that's that makes us feel good and that makes us feel recognized and people understand the kind of work that we do. Yeah, that's great. That's amazing. So, um, got another big one coming up. (laughs) Got another big one coming up next month. Uh, the third Friday and Saturday of next month, uh, November 18th and 19th. It is a framework for schooling, the state of the black man child in education conference. Yes, sir. Um, well, I, I guess, Dr. Jefferson, my question to you, what is your thoughts on the state of black man child in education or just the state of education for our children right now? What What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm a professional educator. I worked in the K-12 uh, in higher ed systems at the community college and university level between California and Texas for the last 20 years. And so I've had an opportunity to see up close and personal uh, what our education systems are. And I get to see the brilliance of our young men uh, in particular, because this, this conference is focused on our young men in particular, but uh, education of black children and, and young adults uh, as a whole, because it's a K-16 pipeline we're looking at. And so I see the brilliance of our young people every single day. And I get to see how that, that shine dulls over time, uh, having to navigate the systems that they do and navigate systems that don't recognize, don't value, don't appreciate the brilliance that they bring. I mean, if you think about it, our young people, when they say something is cool, the world thinks it's cool. When they say, this is how we talk, the world starts talking like that. Our slang ends up on, you know, sitcoms throughout America and on TV commercials. If they say walk this way, they say talk this way, they say, you know, dress this way, we change culture in the world, not just America, the world. But then it comes to education. 
and all of a sudden it's they can't they can't do it's a problem it's this is that well there's a disconnect there if we have the power to change how the world thinks and talks and walks and everything else but we're not intelligent enough to excel in mathematics or psychology or sociology that doesn't make any sense to me um and I see the, the, the continued celebration of the narrative of, and I don't know if we need to be bleep this out or not, of the exceptional Negro, meaning we really celebrate the guy that, you know, come from a broken home where he had, didn't have a father, didn't have a mother, had to walk to school uphill in the snow, had to walk back home uphill in the snow, and somehow he made it through. He was a success. He got through college and got scholarships, and look, he's the head of an industry somewhere, and we celebrate that. But we never talk about what happened to the 15 young men that he grew up with that did not do that. Why aren't we putting our time and attention and focus on those 15 young men that were just as brilliant, just as intelligent, just as driven, but maybe didn't have just the right opportunity, or maybe didn't have that one person to give them some support that went through the same system but didn't get through, we don't give that a lot of thought and attention. And so that is where I look at um, our, our state of uh, education in America is, do we really care about success of our young men? Hmm. Knowing that my own son, you know, he goes, and I I've, am a afford a, a good living. I can live in a community that my son goes to a really good school. But he has one African-American teacher. He has one person in the last six or seven years of his education that looks like him in a classroom, that values his unique genius. Um, and what does that say about what the other attributes he's bring? And nobody recognizes those things that are unique to our culture, they're unique to our language, and unique to our experience that can be brought out, that can be displayed as genius, as genius, uh, genius and intelligence. What does that say about that? Hmm. And so I think we have young people that are, that are great, but we have systems that do not support their greatness and do not value their greatness. I could not agree with you more. Dr. Jefferson. I mean, that's exactly was my sentiments when I spoke to you all last month and we talked about the uh, state of the black man child and education conference. Um, My sentiments. Exactly. The system is not designed for our young boys, just for our young melanated people, period, to um, to excel. And, and, And they've got it messed up with this one size fits all way of learning and just the way of going to the next grade or the next level is to pass these series of tests at the end of the school year. Like it's just, you know, in, in, in order for it to be what you and I know that it can be, we're going to have to totally dismantle the system, period. Yes. yes. Period. It's, it's, it's just going to have to be totally taken down and totally rebuild back up. But, you know, as you know, as we all know, this is all by design, you know, Definitely. Um, Definitely. It, earlier in the, uh, earlier in the conversation, uh, you mentioned um, something about the, the, the K through 16 education pipeline. Um, I, what is that exactly? So if we think about usually we think about success. Um, 
in education, we put a lot of folks with emphasis on getting a high school diploma. But we know in today's economy, you need a little bit more than a high school diploma. You need some kind of advanced education. And so there's a community college route. And many people, when they think about higher education, we automatically think about getting a four-year bachelor's degree. Most, the majority, overwhelming majority of African-American men that are in higher education are in higher education in the community college system. We don't really think about that. But then we have young men in the uh, uh, four-year system as well. I, at my day job, I work at Prairie View A&M University. And, you know, every year we have a freshman class come in and, you know, we do these uh, freshman activities. And it may, if we have, you know, groups of 20, we may have 16 groups of young women we may have three or four groups of young men. So we're not matriculating on to four year. And we hear a lot of people say, well, college not for everybody, it's not for me. I'm a professional educator. I think there's higher education for everyone. I just, I'm biased like that. But we don't think about the success rates of those young men that start and young women that start in higher education and look at those who complete higher education, those who leave with a degree or certificate. And in many of our institutions, uh, we celebrate, oh, my daughter got into this, my son got into this school. But then, because we're not, we don't have certain conversation in our community, because we don't have certain knowledge, I always ask parents, well, have you looked at that university's two-year retention rate for our young people? So, yes, they got in, but look how many stay after two years. What's that environment like? And so we want to look at the whole continuum from kindergarten to go ahead and, and finishing that four-year bachelor's degree at least. Because while there are some people that are entrepreneurs, they say, I, don't, I didn't need college. There are some people that start their own business, some people that go entertainment. There's all these other routes without a college degree that we point to. We just know from the numbers for 95% of our, of, of our community that education, that four-year degree, isn't going to make the difference between them having a successful career or them going through a string of jobs. It just for most of our community, education is going to be the best route for them. Even if you go on to uh, be an entrepreneur or some other activities, for most of our community, you need that degree, some kind of advanced degree. Yeah. And so we just don't want to stop at high school. We want to look at what is going on, going on with our young people that we have out of you know the number that goes on to college, 50% of them are back home after two years. What's going on there? So it's every step of the educational. That is a great question to ask because I have many, many, many friends who have um, gone broke going to these four-year universities and colleges to get said degree only to graduate and get in a field that has nothing to do with the degree that they just obtained spending four years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that because that is the most. <sighs> Let me watch my words. I, it, it just it doesn't it, it, make it's sense. It's, like, <laughs> it, it, it's categorically asinine, like, it, it, you know, to spend all this time and all this mo- money only to be back into the real world. Um, civilian life, if you will, um, 
to work at a job that has nothing to do with what you just spent all this time and money on. Like, it's just, yeah. it's wild. It's absolutely fascinating. You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. We're talking to the Vice President of Operations for 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston, Dr. Patrick Jefferson. Uh, the State of Black Man, Child, and Education Conference is happening November 18th and 19th. And uh, this will be a two-day conference full of a lot of things just you know what we'll, we'll have you guys are going to have educators there higher education professionals community partners parents concerned citizens all of that that'll be happening at the Hyatt Regency downtown Houston uh, for this event can you walk us through for those that might have missed last month walk us through what these two days are going to be like Dr. Jefferson what what should those who have registered for the conference, what should they expect for these two days? All right, so I'll explain a little bit about the format of the conference. It's a two-day conference for professionals, and professionals means, uh, as you said, as you mentioned, K-12 professionals, higher education professionals, those who work in community-based organizations in and around uh, education that support and influence education. That may be healthcare because we know if our kids are sick, uh, they can't learn. It may be uh, professionals who work in areas of nutrition, because uh, um, we know if our kids are hungry, they can't learn. Uh, it's municipalities that influence education policy, um, our politicians and things like that. So it's a two-day conference for them. And it's also that Saturday is when we bring in parents, because that's the main influence of how students do in our systems. Uh, so we bring in parents that second day. So we want to bring the professionals and the parents in together that Saturday. The reason why we bring professionals together is, number one, to engage in that conversation about what's going on, and not just to lament about the numbers or the success rates or suspension rates, all those things like that, but to talk about what are you doing at your institution, in your organization, in your classroom that is helping our young men be successful, by our young women be successful, because we know there are people out there fighting, fighting the good fight. So if I'm a math professor and I have extraordinary success rates for young black men in my math class, we want to give people a platform to discuss that, to talk about this is what I'm doing. Because there are other people at other schools, other institutions that are trying to figure out, okay, what can I do to kind of make a change? And we can get together in a solution-based uh, environment to share, those kind of, to share that kind of information. And on that Saturday, we're bringing in parents. And I... I often challenge my colleagues and, and fellow educators. If we think about a parent walking onto a university campus, a high school campus, an elementary school campus, you walk in, you have to sign in, you get a badge. You ask questions, you get terminology, and you get a language that we only speak uh, as educators. There's all these rules, these policies, you have to do this, you have to stand up here, you have to do this, you have to fill out these forms. And you even walk in and look, we have the marble floors, we have the, um, you know, the public facility look to us. And I asked my colleagues, how do we treat people and how do we look that's different from the county hospital or the police station or the courthouse? We have the same marble in our schools as we do in the courthouse. Hmm. And many times it's a, it feels like a hostile environment for parents. They go in, they don't know what we're talking about. They don't know what we're saying. We just throw language at them. And so when our parents go in, there may be an issue or a challenge or just a concern that we may have uh, for our kids' uh, success and well-being in the school. Parents don't always understand. 
I've worked in education for 20 years, and sometimes I get frustrated when I go to my son's high school and try to figure out what's going on with it. So we want to arm parents with as much information as possible on that area to be able to support their students. For example, uh, we know that black boys are overrepresented, overrepresented in special education. They're three times as likely, uh, more likely to get suspended for doing the exact same offense in school as their counterparts. So when you go to an IEP meeting, an individual education plan meeting, if your son's been, you know, uh, recommended for special ed, what questions do you ask? What are your rights as a parent? What is the timeline that they have to follow? How do you make sure they're doing those things? We don't know those things. We don't teach parents those kind of things. So we want to engage with parents to arm them with information. So when you go to advocate for your student, you know what your rights are. There are people in other communities, when they show up to a parent meeting, they bring an advocate. How many of our parents know that you can do that? Where would you find an advocate to take with you? So we want to make sure we arm parents with that information and have them engage with the professionals that care about our young people to share that information, share that insider knowledge so they can be better prepared to support their students. So that's what we're going to do in those two days. We have some uh, nationally renowned speakers there. We have some workshops that, uh, for professionals that work in the system. Um, and we have uh, workshops for people that work in the community supporting the education system that parents can tap into and get additional resources. So our big push right now is to really get the registration up and make sure people know and people register. The two-day conference for professionals, which include breakfast, and of course, breakfast and lunch for both days, is $250, which is a huge discount. I go to educational conferences, and they start at $550, $600, $700. And for that Saturday, it's $50 for parents. And that includes the breakfast and lunch on that Saturday also. We want to keep the price point as low as possible to make sure we can get access to as many people as possible. So I'm asking your audience, whoever hears, register and call someone and call a friend, call a niece, niece nephew, cousin, uh, neighbor, whoever, and say, you need to attend this. This is great for us. We need to get this information. And where do they go to do that? Uh, they can go to our website. It's really easy. 100www.100blackmenhou for Houston. So 100blackmenhou.org. Now, once they go to that webpage, the first thing you're going to see is a flyer. and it's a, it's a link that they can click on that flyer, and it'll take them straight to the registration page. It'll tell them the dates. It'll tell them the speakers. Uh, it has a registration link. It has the conference strands on there. All the information that anybody would need to know. Uh, to register for the conference. For those people that may be coming from out of town, we have a room block still available at the Hyatt Regency downtown that would at a very discounted rate. They can uh, plan on staying there, and they're right in the middle of the conference. They won't miss anything. Oh, man. What about the um, the, the keynote speakers? All right, great. So we, we really thought long and hard about who we want uh, as far as speaking to the audience. And so our first uh, keynote speaker that Friday morning, Mr. Broderick Johnson. He's a vice president of digital equity for Comcast. And we know coming out of the pandemic, looking at success rates of our young people, and we lag behind, and much of it is because of the digital divide. We know traditionally it's all about reading and writing and arithmetic and things like that. But increasingly, being able to access those educational resources, and again, the pandemic 
put it right in our faces. Not everyone has the same access. My son, he doesn't bring home books anymore. He has a, a school-issue laptop. And if we didn't have the Internet service at the level we do, he would have a hard time um, accessing those materials. So he's going to talk about digital equity and the digital divide uh, that's going on. Our afternoon keynote on that Friday is Dr. Ruth Lopez-Turley. She's a researcher at Rice University, and she leads the Herc Center. And that's a research consortium that's partnered with the 12 largest school districts in the Houston area. And she she brings a punch. She presents really you know pertinent, hard-hitting data about the success of our students, what's going on right now. And she presents a very, presents a very unvarnished truth about this is what's going on. On Saturday morning, uh, Jamel J.T. Johnson, he's actually a member of the 100 Black Men of Metro Houston, but he's also a community activist. Um, and he's going to talk about some of the things he's seeing out in the community and some of the work he's doing and how we need to come together as a community to help, you know, support the work that's going on in schools and actually come together as a community to advocate for ourselves because, we're not gonna. No one's gonna come rescue us. We have to rescue ourselves. Man, that point. And lastly, Principal Kefale is a nationally renowned educator. He was a part of a turnaround for a school system in um, in the East Coast, and he speaks regularly across across the nation about engaging community, engaging stakeholders, engaging fellow educators to bring about a change in school system. He turned around one of the toughest schools around in the East Coast, and he's going to talk about some of the things that it takes to do that. And he's going to talk to parents and educators, let parents know what they can do, and let educators know what they can do. Uh, one of the things we're very excited about, we have a, uh, a superintendent's panel that's taking place on that Saturday that's going to be facilitated facilitated by Dr. Keisha King. She's the head of um, digital equity for uh, T-Mobile. And we have commitments from the uh, superintendent of HISD, superintendent for the Harris County Department of Education, and superintendent for Aldean ISD. And they're going to be there. And we're going to talk about from the policy level, from that leadership level, what is going on and what can be done both by education systems and both by the community to improve the success of our young people. And I say success, that's why I focus on. And usually people say completion and success, but I say success. Uh, if you think about a marathon, and there are the winners of the marathon that run straight through their first, second, third, all the way to 10th, whatever, and they're striding through the finish line. They finished the marathon. They were very, very successful doing it, but they complete it. But also there's people that just kind of drag themselves across the finish line four hours later. And many times, we don't think about it from that perspective. We want our students to be successful. We want them to be excelling across that finish line. Because if they're successful at the K-12 level, they go to freshman and, and college, they're successful there, they're going to go on to their sophomore year and be successful and keep that success. But if they're barely dragging themselves across the finish line, how excited would you be to um, – you know, to go to that next leg of the race. Yeah. And so those will be our speakers. We're very, very excited about having them. They're very excited about uh, being at the conference. And it's going to be a treat for everyone that's in the room those days. So log on to 100blackmenhou.org. It's 100blackmenhou.org to register for the State of Black Man Child in Education Conference happening Friday, November 18th, and Saturday, November 19th at the Hyatt Regency downtown Houston. Man, it's going to be a 
going to be some great folks there sharing their scholarship and how we can, you know, propel our kids to be at the top where they should be. Listen, Dr. Jefferson, thank you so much for coming on. Dr. Patrick Jefferson, the Vice President of Operations for 100 Black Men in Metropolitan Houston, thank you so much for coming on. You know, we really appreciate your support. Thank you for having me. Uh, like I said, I've been a, a big fan for years, and we really, really appreciate you. Oh, no, I appreciate you. And to everyone listening to the podcast being presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston, we'll be back after this. From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. I'm your host, KG Smooth. Welcome back on the show. Well, I think when she was on prevention, I mean, when she was on the show, was it the Public Affairs Podcast or was it called mm-hmm. Access Houston? It was Public Affairs Okay, podcast. it was still, so it was with Larry yes. and I. Yes. So this might have been like during the first year. Of, yes. But anyway, anyway, she is the founder <laughs> and CEO of Prevention Zone, ladies and gentlemen, the vivacious and illustrious Daphne Brown Jack. Thank you. Welcome Thank you. back. And you you brought you some company, huh? I sure did. <laughs> Need a little help on the side. Just a little, little, little help. She is the creative director for Prevention Zone, uh-huh. and um, she knows all things food in Houston. Yes. Oh, I, I yeah. I got to say with her food blog and everything. <laughs> Alexandria Jack uh-huh. is also on. How you doing, love? I'm good. How are you, KG? I'm wonderful. Lift that up just a little bit. Lift that mic right. up just a little bit. Yeah, there we go. So, um, welcome, ladies. Thank um, you. We get a lot, a lot of people moving to Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of folks from California, mm-hmm. still folks from, like, the Chicagoland area coming yes. down. Just everywhere. New York, mm-hmm. St. Louis, you mm-hmm. name it. Florida. Yes. Um, so they might have missed mm-hmm. um, our conversation on okay. Prevention Zone and what it is. Please tell the people about Prevention Zone okay. and what it is that you all do. Okay. Prevention Zone is a nonprofit organization that provide resources for um, exonerees, people who have been wrongfully convicted. Mm -hmm. And then we have a um, program for children with incarcerated parents, and we have our youth group, Young People Gathering. And so resources such as um, housing, employment, transportation, and things, in other words, just doing a re-entry for the exonerees and just meeting the needs of the people who are in need. Which is very necessary. Yes. I mean, because yes. that transition exactly. back into civilian life, if you will. Yes. Especially depending on how long they've been locked up. Like, yes. coming back to this world mm-hmm. can be a whole a new whole, world. A whole mm-hmm. new world. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. What was the inspiration um, for starting Prevention Zone? Or what wow. happened to make you recognize this need? Well, it started with me being a parole officer for Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Mm -hmm. and I was a parole officer for 12 years. And in between the 12 years, I began to recognize how the people were being treated, and these are people who have been convicted, sent to prison, and it's now under our supervision as a parole officer. And our goal was to protect and serve the community by making sure that they were following all the rules that they needed to follow to be successful on parole. And one day, one of my guys came in, and it was a, it was a good day. Been seeing about 
maybe 10, 15 guys already. And um, I said, what did, what did you do? Why did you go to prison? And he started telling me, he said, um, well, Miss Jack, I, I didn't commit my crime. I said, that's impossible. I said, if you committed the crime, you got convicted and you went to prison. And then he, it was very enlightened for him to share with me that he was downtown in the county jail already two years waiting for a court date. And a court-appointed attorney came to offer him a plea deal. And he said, we'll give you less if you take this plea deal and everybody be happy. You just go stay in prison for a few years and then you come out, you're good. I said, but you didn't. You said you didn't commit your crimes. Of course, he shared his story and had some documentation in his file that alluded to he didn't commit his crime. So that bad word is plea bargain. Mm -hmm. And he took that. Mm -hmm. And here he is under my care as a quote-unquote parolee, what we called him back then. Mm -hmm. And so with that popping up, which made me want to go and check out, like, wrongful convictions. Now, not that I didn't hear about it, but it was just something that made me want to dig deeper to find more information about wrongful conviction. And, boy, that was a whole ocean all by itself. And from there, I started finding and talking more with my guys and coming to find out that it was more than just that one who was wrongfully convicted. Mm -hmm. Didn't know few years down the road that it would come home to me. Mm. And so that's what got the spark started. Wow. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> what a huge spark that yes. is. That was very necessary and needed. I mean, just listening to that story, like it, that's wild. Like the man had been waiting, w- waiting to go to trial mm-hmm. exactly. while sitting up in there mm-hmm. all Two years? Two years, and that's just a short time for some. While awaiting trial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That blows my mind. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And for, and see, and this is how you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, these people, I tell you. Mm-hmm. This is how you know that the system totally needs to be dismantled. Yeah. And started up again mm-hmm. because this man had proof that he did not commit the crime. Mm-hmm. And yet you got these, you know, state agents, these state representatives, because let's just keep it a buck. Mm-hmm. These public defenders that are so-called defending mm-hmm. uh, the defendant, mm-hmm. they they don't care about these people. Mm-hmm. They don't even know their name, mm-hmm. much less going to care about their case. And then for this man to come and say, hey, Take this plea deal. You'll sit in jail for or sit in prison for mm-hmm. uh, a few years because I want y'all to know there's a difference between jail and prison. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> sit in prison for mm-hmm. a few years and everybody's happy. No, sir. Everybody mm-hmm. isn't happy mm-hmm. because I didn't commit this crime and I got evidence that I didn't do it. But yet you want me mm-hmm. to sit in this thing and waste my life. Yes. For for what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For what? So exactly. because this is slavery remix, so I can come up in here and, <laughs> and, and, and continue to make furniture for uh-huh. Ashley Furniture. But uh-huh. yet when I get out to go apply to work at Ashley Furniture, they're going to tell me no. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. I mean, because mm-hmm. because the time is now to call things out. I'm, I'm calling out all of the 
corruption, yes. the, 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 the way that they cheat us out of everything mm-hmm. just because we're melanated beings yes. down mm-hmm. here on this earth. Like I'm, it, The time is now. I'm yes. calling it out. The system... The system ain't broke. No. The system Mm-mm. is working exactly how it was intended, intended to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm calling it out because now is the time. Like, we will not be oppressed, suppressed, exactly. depressed mm-hmm. any longer. No longer. It's time right. to change. I'm sorry to get on the cell. But that story, like, uh-huh. there, and there's so many like that. Yes. Sandra Bland would be alive today. All right, don't Come go on there. That if is it true. wasn't for mm-hmm. these very mm-hmm. things that are yeah. put into the system, but yeah. uh, you know, Alexandra, how you doing? I'm good, KG. How you doing? <laughs> Ready to, to call it out. So you being creative director of uh, Present Prevention Zone, like mm-hmm. what, what does all of that entail, and what have you seen and experienced with? Um, being a part of this organization that has like really opened your eyes. Yes. Um, I will say, let me start off by saying this is very, um, it's a trauma for me mm. because growing up with my mom being a parole officer, she come home and she tell us the story. So we understand that um, it really got, I, I will say it really got really bad when she got on the sex offender caseload. And what was astonishing was it was so many people who actually didn't commit their crime but took a plea bargain. So, therefore, now they're her client. And I'm not going to call her, say that her parolee, it was they were her client because they didn't have any choice but to go into this. So, um, of course, just hearing the stories and hearing, you know, how my mom was distraught behind why is it so many people uh going through this because growing up until she became a parole officer it was there's a lot of bad people out here because she's criminal justice ready to fight right. uh baby that. she right. <laughs> she be on it but um but then you realize wait a minute everybody is just like everybody else and one of her favorite sayings is we all one foot outside of the jailhouse mm. and it's very true because it just take one slip up but to hear how there was no slip up made And there are people that are, um, I guess the best word to say, suffering with um, with the uh, thing of being locked up for something that they didn't do is kind of hard to hear. So that's why I use the word trauma, because it's like. Did they really commit their crime? Because then you start going back. I didn't see it. So did they really do it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they recant their story and it's a big thing. So how I got involved with Prevention Zone, I didn't have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Yeah, I didn't have no Mama, choice. So. I'm in there. So it's, I got to get to work. But what um, triggered what we're here about is talking about catalysts for change. How can we be a catalyst for change in this world that needs so much change? And, you know, you just pick an area and do what you need to do. And my mom chose this area of criminal justice and seeing how we need a reform for criminal justice. And so um, taking us back to 2020 when George Floyd had... um, I don't even want to say he had been. It he was shown a public massacre of George Floyd had happened, and I was like, "There's no reason why Prevention Zone is quiet in this moment. We are here for the people that need to be exonerated, the thing, the people that need to know more about the criminal justice. We're here to 
help be that catalyst for change in this area. Um, we started out with the um, um, young men gathering. Mm-hmm. That's where the change started for us. And but there was people that are grown that need that need change as well and want to have these conversations. So when George Floyd, um, that incident had happened, the first thing I said to my mom was, Mama, we can't be quiet. And I said it like that only because I knew she was going to put me to work and I didn't want to work. <laughs> but <laughs> I said, Mama, we can't be quiet in this time. Mm-hmm. We have to do something. So that's when I came up with the Catalyst for Change virtual forum. It was mm-hmm. virtual. So we did it one time. It got a little heated. I'm a person I do not like confrontation, y'all. Mm-hmm. So, but to hear it was a lot of conversation. A lot of passion, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of conversation. Um, we had the police officers, we had the, um, the um, the yeah, mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. We had uh, judges. We've had all kinds of people to speak, and we allowed the people that were there to state what they needed to say. And now we've brought this to becoming an in-person um, event, and now people can come out to this event and see it actually happen live and in real time. And we can't wait. It's, it's happening yes, on it is. Saturday, second October one. 29th. Yes. The second one, Catalyst mm-hmm. for Change Community Forum. Yes. Uh, where's it going to be? Downtown at Match Theater. At the Match yep. Theater. Mm-hmm. Midtown. Nice. Yeah, we Oh, yeah, that's yeah. going to be... Uh, I know. I'm going to be home in Ohio. Yes, like, I know. I, I, I would... You, <laughs> you yeah. know, we've yes. already had the conversation. It's not the last one, KG. Yeah, it's yeah, not the last one. Like, but, but now was the time to have this conversation, you know, uh, and to wake it up. Like, right. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that, mm-hmm. oof, that these, these government <laughs> offices, mm-hmm. people like the police department, mm-hmm. is a corporation. Mm, yeah. Much. Yep. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a corporation. Mm-hmm. I yes, mean, it is. so you know, but we ain't gonna go there. I ain't gonna <laughs> wake it up, wake it up <laughs> right. like that uh, <laughs> this morning because look, look, I because I ain't scared. That's yeah, a, that's the best. Way I ain't be. scared. Don't I purposely scared. use this platform. Yes. To wake it up. Yes. To be a catalyst for change. To be a catalyst. <laughs> Come on, Alexandria. <laughs> You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. We are talking to Daphne Brown-Jack and her daughter, Alexandria Jack, uh, the founder and CEO and creative director, respectively, of Prevention Zone. The Catalyst for Change Community Forum is happening Saturday, October 29th, mm-hmm. uh, 10 until 1 at the Match Theater. That's at 3400 Main Street mm-hmm. um, and Houston. Who, who who do you all have that's going to be participating so far that you can share with us? Oh, wow. That's a good question. So for our topic one, bail reform, we have Judge Ramona Franklin. Um, we have um, assistant, well, he's ADA for Fort Bend, um, attorney Roger Rogers, and judge to be who's, who's um, what do you say? She's coming she's running, running. for judge um Catherine Thomas mm-hmm. that's our first form and and then we will have a therapist there Malawalski and then our topic 2 we'll be talking about prison parole probation um um the talking about the sentencing disparity mm-hmm. and 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 how people are being sentenced different and so we will definitely dive into that. And then we want to talk about juvenile justice and why the sentences is, is so hard for the juveniles. You know, they're being tried as adults. 
And so we're going to have a hot topic with that. And then, of course, my my baby is wrongful conviction, surviving wrongful conviction. So each one of those, we have Damian Walker, who's pretty local but is worldwide. He's going to talk about how he was in the criminal justice system at the age of 16, 17. Mm-hmm. And then we, um, and I'm just, now I got him out of order. But anyway, for the prison parole probation, we have um Percy Kennedy Jr., he, he's dealing with the fathers who are in prison and reuniting them back with their children by way of letters. Mm, and oh, that's so beautiful. that's, yes, and, and then Vincent Haywood, who was in the system and is now out and doing a remarkable job with what he's doing, just helping the youth. And then for the juvenile justice, Latrice St. Jewel, she's coming in. She's with the public defender and an excellent person to talk about the juvenile justice system. And then for our wrongful conviction area, we have Christopher Scott. He's going to share his story, um, spent about 16 years being wrongfully convicted and and he he has an amazing story. Oh, mm. I, and I'm not going to even tell it. Y'all got to come and yeah, hear. Yeah, you got to come. Yeah, you got to come. Actually, how do how can people come? Like, where, where do, they, do they can, go somewhere to register? Yes, to get tickets? yes. Like, can they pull up at the door? Like? They can go to preventionzoneinc.org and click on the register registration button and that would take them to the link to register and it's a free event okay, the give entire, it to them one more time. yeah preventionzoneinc.org which is our website and you'll see the big old sign pop up register here and you can watch it virtual oh, nice. so you can be in person and then there's a link to watch it virtual once you get on the site I love it the, yes. the slogan is bringing hope and awareness mm-hmm. to the criminal justice mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. um and i absolutely love that and then oh, that's well, your well, gift well, 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 well oh this is my gift well mm-hmm. i was just gifted um <laughs> that fiend's book the other side of the story mm-hmm. um this book will inspire you to fight for your freedom in the criminal justice system Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Congratulations yes. uh, on this. This is nice. Thank you. <laughs> this is, do you feel this? Oh, I'm sorry. I know you, y'all on the radio. Y'all can, like, I'm just feeling this cover. Like, this is this is amazing. Thank you so much. Um, just give us a brief synopsis of the book. Well, the the books share how um, me myself was working for the criminal justice system. And at the time I had to stress the fact that I was a law enforcement officer because I was still working and talking about how I got through the system with the loved one who was wrongfully accused and how we dealt with it and how my children experienced being that child with an incarcerated parent overnight. Thank God. And, um, and I just tell them, about how I dealt with it, and it's, it's really... It reads it, like a novel. Uh, yeah, it gives you step-by-step step each year what was going what on. What was going on, yeah. And it's, it's a quick read, and... Um, but I love how it reads like a novel, so yeah. it'll make it like, <laughs> you know, you, you'll think that it ain't mm, real, but uh-huh. this, is, this is some real stuff. Yeah. Mm. Wow, amazing. And where can... Um, People go and get this. Is it available everywhere? They can go to, to they can just Amazon Google it and and Barnes it pops and Nobles, up. Books mm-hmm. And I have a website for it. Is DaphneBJack.com. Go to the website to get the DaphneBJack.com. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Give it one more time. Yes, DaphneBJack.com. DaphneBJack.com. Mm-hmm. What is you all's hope 
when people leave the match theater on uh, this Saturday, October 29th, mm -hmm. uh, for the Catalyst for Change Forum. We want them to become aware of how there is help out there and how being educated about the criminal justice system, which ties my book into my purpose for writing, was to help people learn about how the system works. It's not always against them. It's about the fight that you give. If you didn't commit a crime, you have to fight. Even if it means that you get convicted, you continue the fight. And mm -hmm. that's what we want to bring awareness to the community for the juveniles, for the bail reform, for even the people who was wrongfully convicted coming out, it's still going to continue to be a fight. Oh, I wish I could be there so I could <laughs> really wake that thing up. Because where they get us, where, where they get us is uh -huh. in the language, the yes. legal ease. Yes, mm -hmm. that's where the trap is. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. You know, do you understand? Mm -hmm. You know why I pulled you out, or do you understand what I'm saying to you? Um. No, officer, uh -huh. I do not stand under you mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. You know what exactly. I mean? Like when you don't, when you don't know your rights, you don't have any. That's right. right. When you don't know, and that's what we want to do at Catalyst for Change. Mm -hmm. Bring awareness. Oh man, I can. Ooh, my spirit is so it is telling me to go there. But that is our time. Yeah, um, yeah. Man, I so, appreciate this. No, I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Alexandria. Yes. Um, yeah, so y'all save the day this Saturday. Y'all heard it's free 99, not even a 99. It's just free. It's just, just free. It, it, it is free. <laughs> mm -hmm. So pull up to the Match Theater. Uh, it's from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Match Theater, uh, Midtown, Houston. Matchbox One. That's the one. Matchbox One. Uh -huh. Matchbox right. Match one. Box one. Because mm -hmm. we, we we putting it first. We, yes. We, we putting it first. We uh, Catalyst for Change Community mm -hmm. Forum event that is happening presented by Prevention Zone. Man, I so wish I could be there because I would. Ooh, you tear it up. That, I, I would wake <laughs> that thing up because there's so many things out there that mm -hmm. they. Don't want us to know exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And there are ways of getting around it. And me just mentioning legal ease, like mm -hmm. that is just you know one thing. Like one one way that they really, really, really get us. And mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm going to make a lot of people, you know, um, <laughs> city officials or you know law enforcement or whatever upset. It, it don't matter. Ain't nothing. This is all a money game anyway. Mm -hmm. A money game and. And an energy harvesting game, but I ain't going to get into that. <laughs> like when you're arrested, they're supposed to take you directly to the judge. Mm. But they don't do that. They take you down to the jail where you're oh, putting holding mm -hmm. until you see the judge. Mm -hmm. It can be within 24 hours or longer. Now that is a violation of due process. Mm. Wow. And those officers are out of their jurisdiction. Sound like hmm. you're in the wrong business. At that point. Well, I just read. I just know a little, you know, I just I Come just on, read attorney. a little bit. Come on, attorney. Key word is education. I just you read a little educate. bit. Uh -huh. um, and so, you know, when, you, when that happens to you, mm -hmm. and they don't take you right to the judge, and then you go to jail, when you go and see that judge, you tell that judge, my my right to due process was violated, and these gentlemen were out of their jurisdiction. Immediately dismissed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Immediately. And everybody don't know that. The, and that's why I say, when you don't know your rights, mm -hmm. you don't have any. That's mm -hmm. right.
That's just funny. using that example, right? And, and we're just going to close it right there. Yeah. Y'all, Saturday, October 29th at Match Theater, Matchbox One for the Catalyst for Change Community Forum presented by Prevention Zone, Inc. Caffeine, my love. Thank all you. of my love to you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Alexandra, so good to see you again. Good Thank to you see all. you too. Thank you all for coming on. Thank you for your time. And for everyone listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston, we thank you so much. And we will see you next week.